Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Well, last week we got our season underway here on the podcast with George Contos, and he was fantastic, and he's going to be our regular guest here on Inside China Basin. This week we're going to talk with Steve Bitker from KCBS in San Francisco, and he joins us right now. And, Steve, uh, so glad to have you on. We've talked from time to time, and uh, this is very unusual to get a baseball season underway this way. I mean, last year it was even more unusual because we didn't have fans at all, and it started in the middle of the year. Now we start on time, but we still don't have a packed house every night at Oracle Park. Uh, What are your thoughts just about the way the season has started so far in Major League Baseball? Well, Joe, it's uh, nice to be with you, and I think uh, it's great to have fans in the stadiums uh, because for the entire 60-game season last year, we were hearing artificial noise. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> some some stadiums did it better than others, clearly, but uh, it wasn't the same, and uh, at least now you've got uh, – in just about every stadium, you've got maybe six to 10,000 fans allowed to get in, except for the insanity in Texas. And, uh, you know, it sounds great. I, I think uh, six to 10,000 never sounded so good if you asked all the players. Uh, they're, they're loving it. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the candlestick days where if you had <laughs> six to 10,000 and they were rabid fans, I mean, it was pretty energetic. You, you didn't fill candlestick, but it was fun to go to a game that way. And I'm wondering if Oracle might be that way a little bit early on. Yeah. And of course, you know, Oakland's been like that for years to a great degree. Mm-hmm. Smaller crowds, yeah. but they're but they're rabid. They're enthusiastic. They're knowledgeable. And, uh, you know, it's I mean, I think it's going to gradually develop over the course of the season, you know, unless we have setbacks dealing with the pandemic, uh, whereby we'll probably have, you know, larger and larger crowds as we get further into the season. So, you know, compared to last year, that's a big plus. It, it, and it, and for me, just watching games, even if I'm just watching on television, having real fans in the stands makes a big, big difference. I felt that way in the, uh, ALCS in the World Series last year where we had like about 11,000 fans a game in Arlington. It sounded great. Yeah, I think you kind of take it for granted and I think now we don't. I think we you know, now we're uh, sort of getting back to normal and it really feels great to see that. And as far as this Giants team is concerned, Steve, I mean, coming in there weren't a lot of high expectations especially when you saw what the Dodgers did. I mean, they won the World Series and the Padres definitely adding to their roster, especially on the pitching side. So I don't think many people thought the Giants could contend uh, but early on the Giants are getting great pitching and that always, to me, means that it kind of signals that uh, you're going to have an opportunity. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, The pitching's been phenomenal. The hitting has been dismal, except for the home run ball. (laughs) Right. But, you know, it's early. I mean, over the course of the season, I don't expect the Giants to continue hitting 192. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) And I don't 
think the pitching is going to be necessarily where it is now, although, you know, maybe they will have an earned run average, a team ERA under three. That would be fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, and they're not giving up the long ball, so that's good also. I mean, you you looked up and down uh, the pitching, and you've got so many guys doing exceptionally well, whereas the hitters, you've got three guys with respectable batting averages, and everybody else is down around the Mendoza line. But that's not going to continue. No. As far as the pitching is concerned, Steve, it's really been interesting to me to see Gabe Kapler managing the way he is. Because last year, I think early on, I know I was kind of pulling my hair out a little bit because he would not stick with a starter, uh, even if he was rolling along. I mean, if a starter had a high pitch count or even sort of you know up to 80 pitches, uh, he's pulling the guy out. I think he's a little more patient this time around. It's seems like he has a little more faith in his starters. Uh, do you think that that will continue? Uh, is that something that Kapler maybe looked at in the offseason uh, going into this year? I hope it continues. Uh, I was watching uh, the Johnny Cueto effort the other night, and I thought for sure he was going to get pulled as he got up over 100 pitches. But Kapler stuck with him and gave him every opportunity to throw the complete game. And I think within a day or two of that around the major leagues, we saw uh, I mean, aside from the no-hitter, it was great to see Musgrove go the distance, but we saw two other games in which uh, uh, guys went the distance. Lance Lynn was the first one. I think there was another complete game shortly after that, and you had guys throwing 110, 15, 20 pitches early in the season after a 60-game season last summer. I was surprised, but I'm happy to see it. Yeah, me too, and I think that this rotation – has a chance to really kind of sneak up on people because you mentioned Johnny Cueto, and he's always entertaining anyway, but I mean, he looks like he's really on his game right now. And Kevin Gosman is, you know, a guy who could be an ace of a staff with the kind of stuff that he has. And, and a pitcher who's kind of filling in, you know, to be a number five starter in Sanchez is much better than that in watching him the other day. Uh, you know, Di Scalfani's had a good start. Logan Webb has a lot of potential. So, I mean, all the way around, it looks like they're pretty deep in this rotation. Yeah, four of those five have uh, come out of the gate uh, firing bullets and looking good. And Webb, uh, the numbers aren't there, but as you know, he's got the potential to be exceptional. So, you know, that's uh, that's fun to watch for sure. The question is going to be asked all year about Posey, Crawford, Belt, and whether or not they're coming back next year. I mean, you, you know, you have to look in your crystal ball. They have to have a decent season for the Giants to, you know, want to bring them back. What are your thoughts about, you know, those three guys? They, they've been a part of the World Series championship teams. Uh, they've, they've made a lot of money. They had good contracts. Uh, they've contributed so well, and uh, they're, you know, off to – a decent start as far as Posey hitting a couple of home runs early, Crawford hitting home run, but the batting averages definitely were not there for the Brandons early on. Uh, what are your thoughts about how this might transpire? Well, I think one important factor is that uh, the guy in charge doesn't have the same sentimental attachment to those three that everyone else has who has been a part of the Giants dating back to 2010. Right. And there's going to be a lot of money available to go after free agents uh, to acquire high-priced players via trade uh, during the offseason after this season. And depending on what Farhan is able to acquire uh, to make this team stronger, you know, one or two of those guys may not be back next year. I think Buster's going to be back. I just feel that he will, if he has a great year, he'll be back. And if he has an average year, he'll be back because he's Buster Posey. 
and because if he has an average year, his trade value is not going to be very high anyway. I think Buster would love to stay with the Giants long term. So I'd be surprised if he's gone, but I wouldn't be surprised if either one of the other two or both are gone, depending again on how they do this year, what their market is like uh, um, on the free agent market, depending on how they do this season. As far as Buster is concerned, uh, you know, it looks to me like having that year off has helped him. I mean, he, he's always been a great catcher, but I mean, he's throwing out runners and, you know, looks a, a little uh, swifter. His his hip seems to be completely healthy now. He's get, he's driving through the ball. He hit those home runs early. He just seems a little more, you know, locked in at the plate. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that might have helped him. Well, I think so. I mean, he's, you know, and his average is good at this point. It's, two, it's 292. It's still early. But yeah, I mean, last season he was coming off hip surgery and obviously he wasn't 100% healthy. And now you've got the entire offseason to get stronger. So, you know, I think there was a very realistic uh, feeling that that he is going to be healthier this season. The hip is not going to be the factor it was last season. And so far, it looks like that's the case. It's a long season, but I think everybody's guardedly optimistic. As far as the Brandons are concerned, Crawford, you know, I thought a couple of seasons ago that, hey, maybe this guy's slowing down a little bit. I, you know, I see a little bit of maybe of a lost step. I don't see that this year, Steve. I, I think he's making more plays. He, he just seems like he's uh, in, maybe in better shape coming into the season. But, I mean, you know, contract year and all that, uh, Brandon Crawford looks like he really wants to stay in San Francisco. Well, yeah, I, I imagine he probably does, <laughs> and and Brandon Belt too. Yeah, I mean the Giants are the only organization these guys have known dating back to their early days in the minors, and they've got three World Series championships apiece, and uh, they'd love nothing better than to to put up big numbers this season and give Farhan a reason to keep them around. Yeah, I mean I think Farhan likes the Brandon Belt style because Belt. You know, draws a lot of walks. He's kind of the Farhan type of guy anyway. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And last year, uh, you know, actually go back two years. You go back two years to Madison Bumgarner being with the Giants. They didn't trade him. They didn't get anything for him. Goes to the Diamondbacks. He signs a big contract, and he is not off to a good start. So what do you think as far as the decision the Giants made not getting anything but also not signing Bumgarner when they did have an opportunity? Seems like they might have gotten lucky there. Well, yeah. I mean, Bumgarner is too young to be done. He's only 31. Um, he didn't do well with Arizona last summer. Uh, I thought to myself, okay, you know, I don't place a whole lot of stock in the numbers out of that 60-game season in the early stages of the pandemic. You know, every everybody was dealing with issues. Uh, small sample size. You know, a lot of players get out of the gate slowly, and by June, they're raking. Well, Starting in June, you've already played 60 games. That was the entire season last year. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, I'm surprised Bumgarner has gotten off to a worse start this year. I mean, granted, it's only three starts, but his ERA is up over 11. He has struggled in all three starts. Uh, he's done better hitting than he has done pitching. But again, and he's 31, so it's still early. I'm, I'm hopeful for his sake. I mean, you know, he uh, he left an incredible legacy behind in San Francisco, and I think Giants fans, uh, to a man and a woman, would love to see Bumgarner do well this season, uh, maybe aside from the games that he's pitching against the Giants. And I hope he does well. Coming up, we'll talk about Steve's career right after this. 
When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give them a call at 415 453 3942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. All right. Speaking of too young to be done, let's talk about you, Steve. Uh, a lot of listeners probably don't have an idea that you're getting ready to retire in May. So I think you have about a month left on KCBS after 30 years as an anchor there doing the, the morning show sports and anchoring it. Uh, I don't know how this even uh, will hit you when you're done doing it because you've been doing it for so long and and the routine and everything. So uh, how much are you looking forward to retirement? You know, um, I am looking forward to not waking up to a 4 a.m. alarm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When people say, what are you going to do when you retire? I say, I'm not getting up at 4 a.m. That's the first thing I'm doing. <laughs> right. You know, and I got a lot of things that I'm looking forward to uh, to doing. Uh, I'll have a lot more time available. I won't have to take naps in the afternoon to, to get through my days. Um, 32 years of doing morning drive sports, you know, that's, that's a good run. Um, I don't have to keep doing it. I think, you know, it's funny, Joe. I mean, I still get this rush of adrenaline every single morning, like I always have. I think everybody who works in morning drive news uh, feels that way. You know, you're you're the voices that people are hearing as they're getting up in the morning and going about the start of their day. And uh, in sports, you know, you're giving them the, uh, the news of what happened uh, overnight. Some people uh, didn't stay up late enough to, to watch the finishes of games. And, um, you know, it's an exciting time to be on the air. And and I still feel that way. I mean, every morning I get that charge and I get a dose of satisfaction out of it, even working from home. I mean, it's nice to work from home because you, you don't have to deal with the commute. But, you know, I sure miss the energy in the newsroom and all of my colleagues and being with them. And, and uh, you know, technically I miss aspects of the job that are more readily accessible there than here. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's like going to it's like going on vacation uh, with friends or family. You don't want to stay too long <laughs> to the point where you're not still having a fabulous time. It's like friends coming over for a for a, for dinner or a party. You don't want them to stay so long that not everybody's <laughs> having a good time. Right. So you know it's a good time to it's a good time to get out. I still enjoy the job, but uh, you know I think it's the right time. Well, I miss seeing you at the ballpark, and I can imagine that was a, a nice aspect of it when you would do updates uh, from you know, AT&T, now Oracle Park, or over in Oakland. Uh, so tell us about how the job really has evolved over the years, because that's a big chunk of time. And you mentioned to me before the podcast that you know a couple of those years were with KMBR and then 30 years with KCBS. So you got uh, all the way back to what, like late 80s. That, that's a lot of events uh, that have happened in between then and now that uh, you've had the opportunity to cover. You know, I think the biggest change in the job for me is that when I started doing sports full-time if i wanted sound sound is the 
you know, it's the nature of radio. That's what that's what you communicate with your own voice and the voices of others. Right. And to get sound, you had to get it yourself. That was the only way. Yeah, you had to be there, right? <laughs> yeah. And so back in those days, out of necessity, but also because I was a lot younger, I would go to every weeknight Warriors games and get my own sound. And of course, back in those days, we could sit courtside. So that made it a lot more attractive than now. You know, we're not sitting anywhere near the court when we go cover right. Warriors games now. <laughs> but back in those days, there's no other place I'd rather be than be courtside for an NBA game. You see so much more. You hear so much more. But then after the game, you go get interviews and, and call it a night. Uh, I went to many weeknight Sharks games down in San Jose. Covered those as well. Uh, and again, that was the way to get sound. And there were... There were few, if any, other ways you could get it. Maybe some uh, young intern in the newsroom would go get sound and leave it for me in the morning. Um, I think there was some audio service that Giants had for a while. In fact, our I think our buddy Joe Salvatore was uh, putting those together for a while, and you know, and he'd get sound, and then you could dial a number in the morning and get telephone quality sound from from certain players. Uh, but for the most part, for good sound, you had to get it. And that's obviously changed a lot right now. I mean, you know, you can access sound from just about anybody you want after games uh, through various Internet sources. And, uh, you know, as long as it's not exclusive sound, as long as you credit when necessary, you know, that sounds available. So the necessity of me being at the uh, the arenas and at the stadiums is not what it used to be, not to mention the fact that since I'm older, it's just, you know, it's more of a grind getting up at four, four o'clock in the morning without also considering being out at venues. <laughs> yeah. And I could never tell that, you know, you'd been up so early because if you listen in the morning, there's no uh, feeling that, Hey, this guy's kind of tired. And here's the thing. I, I always felt Steve, one of the aspects of the job that you did so well, that made you great at it is that you're creative. I mean, anybody could read scores, but you have a creative nature, and every report is very creative and, uh, you know, unique unto itself. Tell us about that from the beginning of doing it to where you are now as far as the way that you've done these reports. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by the creative aspect, although I appreciate the words. <laughs> well, you, you uh, always, you always, you know, like you, you mix in sound, you have different play by play calls, uh, you know, just the way that uh, you're writing the report, uh, you're, you know, you're changing it up so that it never gets boring. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think it's the, uh, it's the way that, uh, that I grew up as a journalist from the time that I was young, you know, I mean, I started working at, KSFO when it was billed as the world's greatest radio station back in the 1970s. And it really was one of the world's greatest radio stations. And, you know, I had so many people uh, teach me uh, the business of broadcast journalism. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I was taught early was don't telegraph your sound, don't telegraph your actualities. So if you've got a good piece of sound, you know, like a, like a big home run, um, and and you want to play the sound, you don't say, and then Evan Longoria came to the plate and hit a home run to left field to win the game. <laughs> give it away, yeah. Down. Right. I mean, you just don't want to give it away because for someone listening, um, you know, listening to the lead-up 
to that piece of sound, not giving away what happened, and then playing the sound, you know, it's almost like living the moment yourself if you're listening to the radio. Uh, and the other thing that I've always believed in uh, doing morning sports and 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 uh, that I've tried to be consistent with is being very, very conversational. And uh, so I don't script most of my reports. Some of the ones later in the day I do, but in the, uh, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock, uh, eight a.m. hours, you know, every cast is uh, is ad libbed. I jot down a lot of notes. Uh, it ends up looking about as messy as Ken Korak's <laughs> scorecard. But Ken, Kenny's the only guy that can read his scorecard, and I'm probably the only guy that can read my my notes. You know, some of them are highlighted, some of them are not. But I know what's there, and I just talk off those notes. And um, so I, I can honestly say that I'm conversational on the air. And, you know, sometimes I get myself into trouble. You know, I, I look at some notes, and I start uh, ad-libbing. And I say something that I'm 90% sure is true. <laughs> but if you do that often enough, you're going to make a few mistakes here and there. And people call my attention to them, you know, in the newsroom when that happens. And, you know, and and I always tell them, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because if you don't correct me when I've made a, a mistake, a statistical error or something like that, I'm likely to make it again. So I always appreciate when a colleague or a listener calls that to my attention. Yeah, I love the conversational style. And since you mentioned Ken Korak, I, I know one of the highlights of your career was being able to call A's games on the radio. That must have been a great thrill. Oh, my gosh. It was. Um, you know, I did uh, seven years of play-by-play uh, -play for the Sonoma County Crushers in the Independent Western League. That was a great time. That was 95 into the 2001 season. In fact, the first season, I did those games with Kevin. Kevin the Rat, and we just had a blast. <laughs> and Kevin loved it too, and he would have stuck with it, but uh, the program director at KNBR told him to stop because he felt like it was uh, affecting his work at the station. Wow. Fortunately, nobody at KCBS did that. I mean, they encouraged us if we had play-by-play -play opportunities aside from our jobs at KCBS. They encouraged us to pursue them because they knew that it would, you know, make us more well-rounded and give us you know, satisfaction for our careers and you want your employees to be happy. But I did that for seven years. You know, sometimes I'd get back home after midnight and get up at four and go into the city to do my job at KCBS, <laughs> you know, and, and I was able to parlay that into 11 years uh, as a backup play-by-play uh, -play guy with, um, with uh, the A's. And, you know, Ken, Ken is uh, fabulous. He's a wonderful guy. He's a great announcer. Kent, Kent's one of the best announcers in the business. He's one of the best people I've ever known. I loved every minute working with him in the broadcast booth and going out to lunches and dinners with him and, you know, sharing a meal in the, uh, you know, inside the stadium before games. And then Bill King, you know, I got to work many years with the legend Bill King and just had a, you know, incredible experience with him. I mean, Bill, it's just one of the most unbelievable people that I've ever met in my life, totally aside from baseball. And then, of course, he's got this encyclopedic knowledge of baseball that shows during the broadcast. And so just being with him, I mean, I think I was in a lot of awe of him the first few games that I did. But he, you know, quickly made me feel really comfortable. And, um, you know, a couple of great memories of Bill that stand out were um, there was one game early in the Cactus League. And they needed somebody to work with Bill. I think Korak was 
doing a UNLV postseason game or something. So they called me and asked me if I could fly down there and just stay for the day and do a game with Bill. And the score of this game against the Angels was something like 24 to 11. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> the A's won the game. And so, you know, the way it works with uh, when I was working with Ken and with Bill is I'd get the third, fourth, and the seventh inning. Um, and then if it went extra, we would just alternate. Uh, but at the end of the sixth inning with the score, you know, something like 18 to nine, <laughs> Bill had had enough. <laughs> I'm out of here. And he said to me, that's what he said. He said to me, do you want to do the rest of this game? And I said, sure. <laughs> and he said, you're on, I'm out of here. And he took off. <laughs> and the other, I mean, there are a lot of good memories, but the other great memory with Bill was sharing the very tiny visiting broadcast booth at the, uh, at Yankee stadium before it was, you know, became what it is now. And it was a 16 in a game oh. that lasted something like six hours. Oh, wow. And we were just in that tiny little broadcast booth the whole time, but it was just, <laughs> you know, for me, it was unforgettable because I mean, you could imagine, you know, during, half inning breaks, you know, and we get off on these conversations and uh sometimes the conversations would be during the game. And uh I still remember when we went into the bottom of the sixteenth no uh, it was the bottom of the fifteenth or fourteenth <laughs> and there was a left handed reliever for the A's that came into the game. I can't remember his name, but he had a very, very brief major league career. And when he came into the game, Bill looked at me, this is not on the air, and he said, This game is over. There is no way whatever this guy's name was, <laughs> that he was going to hold off the Yankees. What happened that night? He had the game of his career, and he pitched three scoreless innings and got the win. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then now we won't have stories like that anymore because they put a runner at second base when we get to the 10th <laughs> inning. So, yeah, unfortunately. that I, When the minor leagues first started doing it in uh, AAA, I just thought this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and I was – thinking and hoping that we'd never see it in the major leagues. But like the seven-inning doubleheader, you know, I've grown to be okay with it. Um, <laughs> I, just, I know that I, I, I've been to games that go 18 or 20 innings, and, um, you know, they can be a little, a little tedious. And uh, there is some excitement that starts every half inning at a runner at seven days. Uh, excitement that is that can be lacking in a long, long, long extra inning game. So I know it's weird, but just personally speaking, I've grown to be okay with it and the seven-inning doubleheader as well. Because when I was growing up, I'd love nothing better than to go to a Sunday doubleheader at Candlestick or at the Coliseum. But back then, those games lasted two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Now they last three hours. Right. So a seven-inning doubleheader sort of makes up for that. Yeah, it absolutely changes things. All right, to finish up, I mean, over all of these years, and, you know, Giants baseball in particular, since we're doing a Giants podcast here, I'm curious, uh, you know, what your favorite memory would be and maybe uh, what maybe the low light would be as far as seeing the Giants over the years uh, while you were at KCBS. Oh, my um, I have a feeling what the low light might be because I know. Yeah, you know what the I know how is. much of a supporter of Barry Bonds you were and how you defended him during the uh, PED accusations. Yeah, well, I knew what was going on with him long before Balco. Uh, I had a source inside. Of course, when he showed up to spring training, you know, with this 
ridiculous 35 pounds of added muscle and a bigger head, I mean, you'd have to be a complete moron not to know what was going on. (laughs) But then I had an inside source who filled me in on a lot of specifics that didn't come to light for years after that. But my problem with him above and beyond that was just what a a completely disgusting human being he was uh, and really, really difficult to deal with. And I just saw no excuse possible for how he treated others around him, including members of the press. Uh, But, you know, the highlights were way above and beyond that. I think one game that stood out was probably the Brian Johnson home run. I mean, I think in terms of a regular season game, the the Brian Johnson home run that beat the Dodgers in extra innings that kept the Giants, uh, you know, uh, postseason hopes alive. I think that was a that was a huge game. And then, of course, you look at all the Tim Lincecum masterpieces, the no-hitters during the regular season and the phenomenal pitching performances in the postseason, especially in 2010. Well, I think his first postseason game, didn't he go the distance and strike out something like 14 guys? Against the Braves, you know, yeah, was, I think you're right. Yeah, and he was just a, you know, fun to watch as a as an athlete and fun to talk to. And, uh, you know, Lincecum is definitely one of the great highlights. But, of course, you know, I mean, I go back uh, with the Giants back to when they moved here in 1958. So I think just because I was a, a little kid back in those days, and I mean little, but uh, some of my memories of those early days with the Giants are, are are my favorite memories. And even the early days with the A's when they moved here in 68, and uh, they were so much fun to watch. Yeah, well, it's, I've become uh, old and jaded since then. <laughs> no, well, hey, I, I wish you the best in retirement. I'm going to miss hearing you on KCBS. It's just, uh, it's one of those things. We're 15 and 45. I'm just programmed to to be able to get my Steve Bitker fix. So I'm going to miss that. But I wish you the best in retirement. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks, Joe. Much appreciated. That's Steve Bitker from KCBS in San Francisco. Join us again next week. George Contos will be back for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 